0: This is Undisciplined. I'm Nalini Nadkarni. Floods. Our images of inundations range from the biblical arc to modern-day deluges. Understanding what causes or intensifies them arises from many scientific disciplines. We used to think that rainfall and storm surges of ocean waves occur independently, but these two factors may be highly dependent and the warming of our climate causes both rising sea levels and more rainfall, which increases the risk of joint surge rainfall coastal events. A recent study centered at Princeton University is among the first to figure out how climate change could affect the frequency of these disturbances. The researchers integrated climate projections, hurricane modeling, and rainfall and storm surge simulations, which revealed some alarming projections. In contrast to the historical frequency of these extreme events happening every three hundred years or so, the future may bring their frequency to an average of every five to ten years to our northeastern coasts. I'm speaking with a lead author of that study, Avi Gori. She is a graduate student at Princeton University. Avi, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Nalini. You bet. Thanks so much for taking the time to share your really amazing research with our listeners and with me. Uh, And I'm eager to hear and share the findings of your paper, which was published earlier this year in the journal Nature Climate Change. But first, Avi, can you just start us off by telling us your current research setting? Where are you now?
1: Uh, So currently, I'm finishing up my PhD at Princeton University. So I have about one year left um, where I will be continuing to wrap up my research on hurricanes, flooding, and coastal resilience. Fantastic.
0: Well, congratulations on being the first author of, of this paper. Thank you. Um, and, you know, I myself am a forest ecologist, so I found your paper fascinating, but but I, I had to sort of brush up on some new vocabulary for me. So let's start with the basics, starting with your title. like, What is a tropical cyclone and, and how does that differ from a hurricane or a typhoon? Great
1: question. Uh, Tropical cyclones are the same thing as typhoons. It just depends which part of the globe you are, which word you use. So a tropical cyclone is a type of storm that is characterized by having a low pressure, warm center. And this warm, low pressure center causes um, fast winds to rotate about the center, creating a cyclone. Um, The reason they're called tropical cyclones are because they form from about 5 degrees to 30 degrees off of the equator. So in the northern hemisphere, they would form from about 5 degrees north of the equator to 30 degrees north of the equator in the tropical region.
0: Got it. Well, that was very clear. I didn't realize that. (laughs) At the outset of your paper, you outlined two major factors that contribute to the negative forces of these storms. The storm surges of sea level rise and also rainfall-induced flooding. And can you describe those two forces both separately and, and how they might work together? Sure. So
1: as the climate continues to warm, there is relatively high confidence that sea levels will continue to rise. As sea levels rise at the coastline, um, then the water levels at the coast will rise as well, and hurricane storm surges will be added on top of a base water level that is higher than in our present day. In regard to rainfall, the rainfall from a tropical cyclone is primarily controlled by the intensity or the maximum wind speed of the storm, which induces a convection that causes rainfall. Um, So as storms become more intense, we may see more intense rainfall associated with
0: the tropical cyclone. Here's another sort of a vocabulary question, which is that some of these, you know, obviously some of these uh, storm drivers concern climate change. And I was wondering if you could kind of decode the language about emission scenarios. Um, that you mentioned in the paper, the different levels that were described in this shorthand of uh, SSP uh, 8.5 and SSP 1 to 1.9. Can you describe those or define those? Sure. So each of these SSPs,
1: as they're called, or shared socioeconomic pathways, refer to a different emissions trajectory Um, That has been developed by the international community to characterize different paths we might go down in the future as a globe. So, it's a very important point that you raise. In our study, we look at the SSP 5 8.5 scenario. This is the most intense uh, or most extreme scenario of all the pathways. So, when we analyze and interpret these results, we should keep in mind that this isn't the most likely future scenario. This is the upper bound of what might happen in the future if we do nothing to mitigate our CO2 emissions, which that path is currently unlikely, but still possible.
0: Okay, very clear. Thanks. Uh, And it's good to know. I mean, it's a little more hopeful than reading about your predictions to know that this is the worst possible one, but still something to be wary of, of course, as, uh, as we don't know which path all of us are going to be taking. At Undisciplined, our radio program, we love to think about how... One scientific study nearly always happens by one study building on the shoulders of another study or previous studies. And I was wondering, what is the earlier work that provided the foundation for your study? Sure. Great
1: question. So uh, as you mentioned earlier, our study relies on, first of all, the output from large-scale climate models. So of course, we are Utilizing the work of previous studies that have developed these very complex uh, global models of our oceans and environment. The next thing that we build upon is a method to generate synthetic hurricanes. So, because hurricanes are very rare in the historical uh, timeline, we use a method to generate thousands of synthetic events that are physically realistic so they didn't happen but given our current climate state they could have happened
0: one of the things I appreciated about your study was the way that you and your colleagues mustered evidence from multiple disciplines you just mentioned the the global climate change models um, and different approaches to get an answer to your questions could you describe how you assembled your team? because it it bridged academic science departments at Princeton University and at the Massachusetts Institute for Technology. How did you assemble and kind of work with that team?
1: Yes. So um, my background is primarily on coastal flood hazard. So I have more of an experience understanding flooding impacts from rainfall and from storm surges. But I don't have as deep of a background in climate science or climatology. So that's where the expertise of my advisor Ning Lin came in and the expertise of Professor Carrie Emanuel at MIT. Um, so Carrie Emanuel's work uh, has basically spanned the field of tropical cyclone research for many decades. And importantly, It was his work that developed this method of generating synthetic hurricanes and developing simplified methods for simulating the rainfall associated with each synthetic hurricane.
0: Going back to the study itself, you mentioned two really important drivers, storm surges and rainfall. But I'm wondering, you know, I know that, that hurricanes and cyclones are also accompanied by these tremendous wind surges. And I'm wondering if you could tell us about the role of wind, especially strong winds, in understanding these phenomena and, and perhaps mitigating some of the negative effects of these storms.
1: Great question. Uh, yeah, so often um, if you have an area that experiences extreme rainfall or extreme storm surge or both, it is likely also experiencing the extreme wind from the hurricane. Um, and this, these extreme winds can cause obviously widespread structural damage, damage to infrastructure systems, bridges, electrical power um, networks, for example. So in this study, while we don't consider the wind damage specifically, um, it's a great point that you raised that future work should also consider that wind is an additional
0: hazard um,
1: on top of the flooding. Right. Right.
0: Well, I think every good study always results in more questions to examine than, than are answered, so that that's a great response. Absolutely. Um, um, now, let's get to your results, which I, I'm afraid are a little bit frightening in some ways. <laughs> Using your models and your statistical analysis, your study projected this really dramatic rise in how often these joint... Events which, which at this time are sort of hundred-year events. That is a one percent chance that they'll happen in any given year for both rainfall and storm surges. Um, but by the year twenty-one hundred, um, you have made some predictions about how frequently these these storms might occur. And so, could you talk about that and tell us what you found in different regions of the of the coast that we have?
1: Sure, absolutely. So. Speaking in broad regions, the the first region we could think about is the Gulf of Mexico. So that spans, obviously, from the Texas coastline all the way to Florida. Here, the in the historical climate, rainfall and storm surges are more highly correlated and they're more likely to be extreme. So if we think about extreme storms of the past, like Katrina, Harvey, um, most of the A lot of these happened along the Gulf of Mexico. So because of that, we see the smallest increase from the historical to the future um, climate in terms of joint hazard in the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, However, this increase still corresponds to up to a 30-fold increase in the frequency of these type of extreme events. Um, it's amazing. Yes, it's, it's quite staggering. Um, then if we think about the Northeast, so maybe from the Chesapeake Bay until, you know, the greater New York City region, in this region, the rainfall and storm surges are not very highly correlated currently but we project based on our model simulations that they will become significantly more correlated or more dependent in the future. And that coupled with the increase of their intensity would cause those type of events to go from being between a 300 to a 600-year event to between a 5-year to a 15-year event. So this is a much more significant increase right. in the frequency.
0: Wow. I, I can see why your article has has acquired so much interest. <laughs> I mean, it is really remarkable how much popular and scientific... Interest your, your article has 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 received just since it's been published and I can understand why I'm I'm trying to keep in mind this what you said at the very beginning of our, our conversation which is this is really under the worst case scenario in terms of projected activities of humans and the environment but still that's kind of a, a sobering result, I would think.
1: Yes, I do think it's important to keep in mind that this is probably a worst case, scenario for how the climate might evolve. But nevertheless, these types of studies are important so that we can really understand the benefit of CO2 um, cuts and emissions that we are pledging
0: currently. Right, right. You know, um, some of the things that you've spoken about in terms of your study really resonate with me as an ecologist. And I know that you know, the sequence of ecological studies is to document a pattern and then study the processes that create that pattern mm-hmm. and then apply those two pieces of understanding pattern and process to make predictions. And so I feel like your group has been able to really make this remarkable and fantastic jump from pattern process into predictions and and sort of wondering how solid you feel about those. Is that is that something that you feel is is really valid or are there more caveats that we need to understand and and pack around the results and the predictions.
1: Yeah, that's a really great point that you raise. And I think there are definitely um, many uncertainties associated with these results that we should keep in mind. So, The first one, which is a point of huge uncertainty, is the frequency of tropical cyclones. So while there's more confidence that the intensity of tropical cyclones may increase in the future, there is huge uncertainty about whether the frequency of these events will increase or decrease or stay the same. So in our study, our model predicts an increase in the frequency. But that is a huge uncertainty that um, if there is a decrease in the uncertainty, these results may change. Um, So that's, that's definitely a very important point of
0: uncertainty to keep in mind. Got it. But I think that's true of all scientific studies. And I think the fact that you're aware of that and can actually articulate um, the degree at which, um, you know, the unknownness of frequency and which direction it might go, I think is a really valuable thing to, to pack along with this. Right. I think there's another factor that I wonder about with tropical storms, and that is not just about their intensity or their frequency, but about where they occur. And as a tropical biologist, I work in Costa Rica, which lies actually outside of the traditional or historic pathway of hurricanes, but in 2017, uh, Costa Rica experienced a very severe hurricane, Hurricane Nate, uh, that swept through and caused extensive flooding, not just in the coastal areas, but also in the interior. And I'm wondering whether your models say anything about sort of the incidents and the, the location of where cu- hurricanes might shift to or might transform their pathways to. That is, might we find more what we call misplaced hurricanes in the future? <laughs> Great question. And yes, so one
1: of the other reasons we find such a large increase in hazard for the Northeast is that we project more hurricanes with stronger intensity to reach all the way to the northern latitudes of the Northeast U.S. coastline. Um, So currently, it's relatively rare for very intense hurricanes to maintain their intensity north of a certain latitude, but we find in the future climate, due to changes in the large-scale environment, that it is more likely to have these strong hurricanes extending further and further north.
0: Wow. Wow. So, you know, I think this leads us to not only the, you know, thinking about the incidence and the frequency and intensity and location of hurricanes, but also about how we respond to them. And this of course, brings us to the concept of resilience, which is you know a big topic of conversation right now resilience to any sort of disturbance, you know whether it's covid or whether it's hurricanes and i'm I'm wondering whether your team has thought about how your predictions uh, and the publication of of your 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 results might increase our capacity for resilience uh
1: yeah, that's a great question and I think the we have thought about that question more, especially after the 2021 hurricane season. So one aspect of our projections are that the northeast regions will experience or may experience a large increase in rainfall. And if we think about storms from 2021, so for example, hurricanes Henri and Hurricane Ida that dropped very significant rainfall amounts in the Northeast region. And we saw that many cities in the Northeast, especially the greater New York City region, was unprepared to deal with such intense rainfall. So we're hoping that our rainfall projection results, which are part of this study, can also help motivate cities on the Northeast coastline to think more seriously about the threat from rainfall and not just from storm surge.
0: Mm -hmm. Right. Um, You know, that sort of brings us to the implication, the social implications of your study. And increasingly, every study that's been supported by the National Science Foundation and and just funding in general has to think about how the research impacts society. And we know that with NSF grants, we're required to write what are called broader impact statements. Wondering... um, how you kind of move the information that you have created with your scientific study to applications that might be useful to society? That's a great question. Yeah, it is a really second. a tough one, I know. <laughs> well, let me add one thing. Um, mm-hmm. One thing I read was that um, Thomas Wall, who's at the University of, of Central Florida, who's not an author or co-author, but he offered comments on the significance of your paper. And he said, Based on the results presented in this study and others, it's paramount for decision makers to properly account for compound flooding events in their coastal management and and adaptation plans. And he noted that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and FEMA, two agencies that are deeply involved in flood mitigation and disaster response, have both recently created task forces to better understand the impacts of this compound flooding, that is this joint surge rainfall. So were you surprised at this? Are you excited that there are actually government agencies that are taking this into account?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm definitely excited about that. And I know there is a lot of work currently going on, especially at the Army Corps, to develop guidelines for rigorously accounting for this type of joint flooding. I think results from studies like mine and also other studies that have been published and will and will be published um, can help provide kind of projection information that can then hopefully be used or um, built upon
0: by different federal agencies. You know, and, and speaking of these the events and their consequences, especially as we read about you know, this potential projection of, of, of vastly increasing the frequency and maybe the intensity and perhaps even the location of storms. I mean, those are really sobering results. And they could lead a reader to deep despair to the point of, of sort of immobility and not wanting to do anything because it, it's so depressing to think about that. So I'm wondering whether you see hope anywhere and, and what might give you hope in the face of the data that you've been collecting and the interpretations that you've made?
1: I absolutely see hope. So I don't think anybody should read this study and come away saying everything is doomed. Um, As I said, I think this study is showing a potential worst case outcome, which can be hard for people to reconcile with, but it's important to know what are the plausible pathways because there is so much uncertainty in the future. But I see this as a way to motivate the actions that are already being done to some extent and that are, you know, hopefully this will spur even more commitment to planning for rising seas planning for increased rainfall and increased storm surges um, and hopefully getting coastal communities also more invested in the planning and implementation of mitigation projects.
0: Well, that's, that sounds hopeful to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, my hopes lie in the same directions. Um, you know, Avi, hearing you talk about your work this morning with, with such knowledge and enthusiasm and, and here in this last case, such hope um, for our listeners, especially our younger listeners who might want to do the kinds of work that you do, what would be your advice to them? I
1: think um, now more than ever, uh, it is so important to train the next generation of researchers, scientists, engineers. And I think there's a lot of great research going on at universities across the U.S. and across the world. So for young people out there, there are so many opportunities to get involved with research, whether at the university level, at different government agencies. Um, I would just say there are a lot of ways to get involved if you're interested in this type of research, and hopefully you will be inspired by this work to, to
0: pursue research in the future. I love your inclusion of, being, of working in government agencies as a way to be literally an agent of change, because I think that many of those agencies are really the ones that implement the kinds of changes that we need to see in terms of infrastructure and the environment. So thank you for including that. Um, Avi, just to close, I I see that you're already just an amazing expert in multiple disciplines and in communication, and I'm wondering what area, what project, or what program, or what question um, you foresee working on next?
1: So, I think there's still a lot of questions left to be addressed in terms of understanding how tropical cyclone hazards will change in the future. Um, this is just one study, but there, as we discussed earlier in the program, this has also brought up so many more questions. Um, so I really hope to continue working on this broad topic to refine our understanding of how the warming climate will impact tropical cyclone hazards. And finally, I hope to be able to actually work with different stakeholders to say, how can we translate some of these projections into
0: actionable items? Fantastic. Well, Avi, thank you so much for sharing your insights on this fascinating piece of of scientific research. And, And we wish you the best and your team the best for your work in the future. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio. And if you live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 1030 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Claire Scott. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tiso. And I'm Nalini Natkarni. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas.